Good morning. Um, this morning I'll be reading from two passages of scripture. The first is Hebrew 3, verse 13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And then James 3, 3 through 10 says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can, be ta can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, dear ones, I'd like to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. James Stewart quotes this legend that God decided to reduce the weapons in a devil's armory just to one, that Satan could choose which fiery dart that he would keep. Well, he decided to keep the power of discouragement. If only I can persuade Christians to be thoroughly discouraged, he reasoned, they will make no further effort, and I shall be enthroned in their lives. Dr. Benjamin Woods, while visiting an elderly lady in one of the nursing homes, asked her the question, is there anything that you need today? Weakly looking at him, she said, yes, there is something that I need. I need encouragement. Well, most of us realize that we can use our mouths to either verbally encourage or to discourage people. In the book of James, the writer talks about the use of the tongue and the use of words. He wants us to know that nowhere is the union of faith and works more visible than in one's talk as well as use of words. Well, a student came to my office just recently to talk, which really turned out then to become a time of confession as well as repentance. It seems that she began to realize that her talk was not matching up with her walk. She came along and shared these words, Oomph, I testify with my mouth that I love the Lord and tell those I lead that they should also love Him and obey Him. Well, this week, the Holy Spirit convicted my heart. I had a major test coming up, and I had to make a choice. Do I go to chapel or do I study? I opted to study. And what I did was then to come and to ask a friend to take my ID card and swipe me in as though I had been in chapel. In fact, she then began to confess that there were other times in which she would come to chapel, swipe in, and then only stay there momentarily and then slip on out. As she put it, I am so busy that I thought that I could use chapel time to get caught up. Well, she continued on that then one of the girls in my hall heard what I had done, and then she came and lovingly confronted me, but she made the statement saying, what you just did really seems to be very dishonest. This gal came along, a student leader shared. At first, I argued with her and sought to justify my actions, but then the more I began to think about it, the more I realized that perhaps she was right. My talk and my walk, they did not seem to match up. And I was feeling miserable, as she put it. The Holy Spirit conviction can be such an awful thing. But I want you to know that it became such a neat place inside the office as we were meeting. 
Because during that time, we bowed our heads and we sought the Lord in prayer. And the student leader felt forgiveness and grace and mercy being poured into her heart. And my office became a place of sanctuary, an awesome place where we met God. I want you to know, I so admire that student leader. She wanted her talk to match up with her walk. Well, someone rightly stated that the tongue is sort of a litmus test of the heart. That James then comes along and he presents to us some of the general statements about our tongues. He comes along and he tells us that first of all, the tongue is small. A fact that all of us are able to recognize to be true. That the average human tongue, they tell me, is around four inches long. With eight muscles in it and weighs around two and a half ounces. People do some crazy things with their tongues. Some like piercing their tongues. Some individuals like tattooing their tongues. Some individuals actually will then come along and split their tongues. Yet even though the tongue is very, very small, it can do some amazing things. It's able to produce sounds, as an example, which, which are just intriguing to listen to. As an example, I love listening to some of the African languages with their click sounds. In fact, the Kosa tongue, the language has a the Kosa tribe in South Africa, has a twister that goes like this. Isn't that cool? Well, I am told that the average person uses his or her tongue to speak about 18 to 25,000 words a day. That men speak 25,000 words a day, while women can speak up to 30,000 words a day. Another person calculated that with the words that we speak, we probably put together the equivalent to about a 54-page book every day. That in a year's time, we probably produce around 66, 800-page books. And yet even though the Bible tells me that the tongue is very small, we also can recognize that it is also very strong. It is mighty. And the way James conveys this message is by writing about bits and rudders. He tells us that even though a bit is relatively small, that when, come, when one comes and puts it into the mouth of a horse, that one can control the entire horse. The same is true with a ship's rudder. That even though it may be relatively small when compared to the size of the ship itself, with his hand on the wheel and on a tiller, a pilot can steer the ship in the midst of even strong winds. James' point of comparison is not so much a matter of control, for the tongue does not necessarily really control the body, but of the influence that a small part of the body can have over the rest of the body. In fact, James is saying this, don't underestimate the power of the tongue with its words, because if you do, you won't have the desire to try to tame it. James then gets very specific and very pointed with us. He presents the following reality. That the tongue, yes, it can be used to build people up, but too often we use it to destroy people. You see, as I was reflecting on what James wrote about the tongue, I began to wonder to myself, what would James say about social media if he were writing today? You see, I see a correlation between the tongue and our present-day cell phones. That like our tongue, our phones are small, but they can also be strong. I wonder if James would come along and say that social media has become a present-day tool that too many are using to tear others down instead of building people up. Karen Frazier, in her article, Negative Impact of Social Networking, cites wrote, social media has changed the way that people interact. 
In fact, let me just pause for a few moments to kind of digress a little bit. I realize that in many ways, social media has led to positive changes in the way people communicate and how they share information. Is that for me, the issue is not social media, but how one uses social media. Therefore, from what I have observed and from personal experience, I make the conclusion that we can use social media in a way that gives it a dark side. Michael St. Pierre describes one dark side in the following manner. Imagine for a second that you are at the Galilean hillside with probably around 150 others. It's a hot and dry day with a blazing Middle Eastern sun beating heavily down upon you. Up ahead, you see a slightly more organized body of people apparently listening to someone who is talking. As you get closer to the crowd, you begin to realize that the person that is speaking is not giving any ordinary sermon. The man in the center is Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the poor in spirit and the need for us to be filled with compassion. Unfortunately, you and a few others in the crowd are doing what often happens when someone in the front of the room is speaking. You're only half listening. That Jesus Christ has one ear while social media has another. You send out a tweet that goes something like this. I'm here at the Sermon on the Mount with epic speech by Jesus. Peace out. The lady next to you is updating her Pinterest page with a photo of Peter. The preteens next to her are sharing a photo of the crowd via Instagram. Joe, who is always, always thinking about career advancement, he updates his LinkedIn profile. And you're saying, but oomph, that sounds so absurd, but can I share not so much when you consider how most people allocate their attention in today's hectic world? That most of us give partial attention even to people and events while social media continues to tug at us, hinting that we ought to be constantly updating our Twitter or Facebook or other accounts. You see, it was interesting to realize at the election of Pope Francis that cell phones were forbidden to the cardinals throughout the whole process. It's interesting to me that more and more companies are banning cell phones and even some computers during meetings altogether. I can only imagine what Jesus Christ would feel giving arguably his most important message only to see a man in the back of the room glancing down at an incoming text. You see, social media, as valuable as they are, become a detriment to our faith when they leak into our spiritual lives. That if you find the Bible boring and you can't sit in silence without a glowing screen in front of you for five minutes at a time, can I share you may be too plugged in. Missionary Jim Elliott famously said, wherever you are, be all there. In fact, I'd like to change those words just a little bit to come along and state this. When worshiping God, be all there. Amen? There can be a second dark side to, of social media. That as people spend increasing amounts of time in social networks, they're experiencing less and less face-to-face -face interactions. As an example, I heard of a husband and wife who were texting each other, though they were in the same house, and get this, they were in the same room. I've also heard about roommates, even on this campus, who, being at odds with each other, use texting as their way of conveying their caustic messages to each other instead of talking face-to-face, -face, trying to find a solution. 
In fact, scientists have evaluated social media in many studies and have determined that it can lead to what they term social isolation, which can lead to a host of mental, psychological, emotional, and physical problems, including depression, anxiety, and somatic complaints. You see, I wonder if a byproduct of social media is dehumanization, of seeing individuals only as images and forgetting that they have feelings. I have seen how social media has been used to attack others, tear others down, using the power of anonymity to deliver harsh blows. We hear much about the negatives of cyberbullying, and most will say that this really is a bad thing, but now researchers have adopted other terms that reflect other dark sides of social media, such as social drama, social cruelty, and social combat, to describe a broader range of mean-spirited behavior that adversely affects a person's sense of security, self-esteem, and relationships with others. You see, there are some who post harmful messages online without really thinking. And it becomes worse when those who are caught up in anger against someone will resort to degrading verbal messages which are completely open for outside parties to read. I was speaking during chapel at another Christian university. The chaplain came and he told me that he has had guest speakers contact him and report that the derogatory statements that they read from some of the students that they were posting about the presentation and this chaplain finding himself having to apologize profusely on behalf of their academic Christian community. One person described some of the postings as cruel rantings. Well, I want you to know that a while back, someone sent me a posting that someone had written about me. The message went something like this. His eyes are too small. Looks like he's sleeping the whole time. I can't help that. I'm Chinese. <laughs> it's a stupid me. I let that affect me for a long time. In fact, I began doing these crazy exercises to widen my eyes. In fact, I would enter into the pulpit with my eyes forced open. The only problem when you do that, your eyes dry out very quickly. And so a thought that you need to understand is this, is that I believe that at university, we should learn to critically think. But too many have turned critical thinking into cruel criticizing. You see, beloved, I suggest to you that a paramount human need is the need to be encouraged. There are times in his life when facing life's disappointments and crises and hardships that all of us need that word of encouragement. Now understand, I am not against cute comments. On Facebook, I think it's called, Overheard at IWU was his posting. Girl number one, I am so excited to take a class with Jim Lowe next semester. Girl number two, what class is that? Interpretive dance? <laughs> now, I want you to know, postings like that really don't offend me. In fact, I think they're kind of cute. It identifies me as leading a great class, as well as being a super professor. Amen? Amen. Okay. As well, what I like about it is it identifies me as being graceful. Now, I may not be as graceful as Lauren is in a dance, but my wife thinks I'm graceful. And so I'm not worried about postings like that. But what I, and I'm not opposed to even constructive criticizing. But what I'm talking about is cruel criticizing that doesn't take into account the thought and the feelings of someone else, but only those of the person who's posting. And so let's be transparent with one another. We all like to be appreciated, and we all want to be liked. 
A professor at this university recently shared this account with me. Then on a Tuesday afternoon, this is him speaking, my student secretary came and said, there's a student who wants to talk to you for a second. Do you have time to talk to her? Upon answering yes, the student then came into the professor's office and said, I'm a senior ready to graduate. I just wanted you to know that I think you're doing a marvelous job. Thank you so much. And as quickly as she came in, quickly she was gone. But her words lifted up, according to this professor, my spirit. I felt as if I was walking on a cloud. I was so encouraged, I could have danced with joy. And when I heard the professor talking like that, can I share, I wanted to dance with him. Because I understand what he's talking about. Because in a community like this, it's so easy to tear down and sometimes forget that we need to be building up as well. Got an email with these words from one of the students here. In fact, Nicole Horst notes that I'm going to be sharing this. This is what she wrote me. I just wanted to let you know that my brother, who is 18 and a freshman at another university this year, visited on Monday. I, being the awesome older sister I am, I need to talk, teach her about humility, made him go to chapel and a couple classes with me. He had never experienced chapel before, and I talked to him about it afterwards. He loved chapel and thought it was so cool that we had the opportunity to go three times a week and worship the Lord. Being at a secular college, he has had many struggles to deal with every day. And he said that he would give anything to go to a college that had what we have. He also said, wow, everyone looks so normal here, whatever that means. <laughs> well, I, she wrote, I just wanted you to know that I thank you for chapel. It's been a great experience for me. Can I share, like a professor, I wanted to dance on cloud nine. The dictionary comes and defines encouragement as the act of inspiring other people with renewed courage, a renewed spirit, a renewed hope. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Listen to the words found in 1 Thessalonians. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Dr. David Jeremiah, in his book entitled, The Power of Encouragement, wrote, Some of the greatest success stories of history have followed a word of encouragement from a loved one or a trusted friend. He then goes on to tell the story of the great literary genius, Nathan Hawthorne, who was encouraged by his wife, Sophia, after being fired from his job at a custom house and feeling like a failure. Following his heartbreaking disappointment of being released from work, Sophia surprised him with an exclamation of joy. The story unfolds as follows. Now, she said triumphantly, you can write your book. Well, yes, replied Nathan with sagging confidence, and what shall we live on while I'm writing it? And to his amazement, Sophia went to a drawer and she pulled out a substantial amount of money. Well, where on earth did you get all that money, he asked, and she told him, I have always known that you're a man of genius. I knew that someday you would write a masterpiece, so every week out of the money you gave me for housekeeping, I saved a little bit. So here is enough to last one whole year. Dr. Jeremiah went on to say, from her trust and confidence came one of the greatest novels of American literature, The Scarlet Letter. You see the power of encouragement. What the Bible tells us, I want to give you four quick points. The Bible tells us that we are, first of all, to encourage one another daily. I see this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, 
where it comes along and it tells us we are to take advantage of every opportunity we have because the need is always there. That we don't have to go very far into the day to find someone in our network of people who needs a word of encouragement. The practice of daily encouraging others, it does, I believe, at least two things. That first of all, encouragement has a way of building others up. In his letter to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul admonished his fellow believers with these words, pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Second, encouragement has a way of spurring others to keep going. Times when they may feel as if they can't take another step forward, but that word of encouragement, it comes along and it moves them forward with God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it states, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The second thing which I notice is that Christians, we are told that they need to encourage others deeply. In other words, one reason for us to be encouragers is because of the deep love that we have for those who are part of God's family. I believe that this is intimated to us in verse 12 in Hebrews 13 when the word brothers is used. That we are not just a gathering of people who have no connection with one another, but as Christians, we are called family. In fact, I heard kind of a cute quote the other day. It said, families are like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts. Well, I like that. Desmond Tutu stated, you don't choose your family. They are God's gift to you as you are to them. Brad Henry, quote, Families are the compass that guides us. They are the inspiration to reach great heights and our comfort when we occasionally falter. Or dear ones, can I put it this way? Whether you want to admit it or not, whether you claim me or not, I am part of your family. You're so lucky. <laughs> Number three, we are encouraged as Christians to encourage directly. The idea of Hebrews chapter 13 of verse 3, 13, is presented in a context of face-to-face -face communication and contact. You see how often I've done it myself. I'm driving down the road. I think about how I need to encourage a specific person, and then I forget to do it. Dear ones, we are called to encourage directly. Number four, the Bible tells us that we are to encourage others daily. The writer of Hebrew goes on to say, as long as it is called today... Can I share because sometimes delay may be something that will come along and affect the person that needs to be encouraged and causes that person to continue to, to enter into sadness and defeat. But a word of encouragement can take that person out of the pits and allow that person to walk with victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that there are different ways that we can encourage people. I believe that we can encourage people by giving those individuals our person, being there for them when they need us to be there. I believe we can encourage another person with our prayers by praying for them when we know that they need those prayers. I believe that we can encourage people by praising them when they do wonderful things. I believe that we can encourage people even with our purses, that when they may need financial help, that we can help them. I believe that we can help people, encourage them by even giving presents. Well, let me just end this way. I love the story of little Jamie. Jamie had learning difficulties at school, and one day he had a great big smile on his face as he came out to meet his mom, who was there to pick him up. He had never seemed to be happier, and when he bounced into the car, he exclaimed, Mom, Mom, you're not going to believe this, but I got the best part in the school play. And his mother said, You did, honey? That's great. That's wonderful. What part is it? To which Jamie replied, Mom, 
I've been chosen to clap and to cheer for all the others. The question is this, so what? I've asked David if he would come on up here. He's going to give an invitation. We're going to be asking you to do something, but he's going to answer the question, so what? As Dr. Lowe was talking, I couldn't help to remember a time when I was encouraged. It was my senior year of high school when I came here to visit Indiana Wesleyan. Um, and I just remember being surrounded by a sense of community and unity about people encouraging me and praying for me. I remember prospective pr professors praying over me and praying for me for my de decision to come to college. I remember meeting the people that I met and get the tour guides and talking to them and just encouraging them, encouraging me um, to make sure I'm picking the right college. Four years later, this is still true today, I met some of the best people in my life to this day um, as a senior in high school, ready to, or senior in college, ready to graduate this spring. Um, and I've just made some of the best friends I've made here and they've been able to encourage me and support me in the tough times and the good times. Same thing goes with professors. They've been able to speak into my life, been able to affirm me, been able to encourage me, been able to help hard decisions that I've had come to face. Um, and so it's just, I just believe there's a, such an encouraging spirit here at Indiana Wesleyan and we have such a great opportunity to, that, to do that today. There's this concept called paying it forward that I absolutely love a lot. And usually it's dealt with random acts of kindness. And what happens is it's usually um, someone will do a random act of kindness for someone else, and that person who receives the random act of kindness will go and do it for someone else. What if we took that concept and applied it to encouragement, genuine encouragement? So today when we receive encouragement from someone, what if you go ahead and give someone encouragement and give them genuine encouragement to receive them today? How would our school look like? How would our atmosphere change like if we just kept encouraging other people and kept giving them genuine encouragement? So if I show hands, who likes to get mail? Who likes to get mail in the mailbox? Yeah, I, everyone loves to get mail. And today we have a great opportunity to give mail to every, every single person. Um, so today what we have going on here um, is the worship team is going to lead us here in a little bit. And we have tables and chairs that are set up all around the chapel auditorium. And we have a chance to go ahead and write a little note to someone and stick it in their mailbox. Um, and so who could that person be? That person could be a friend that may have encouraged you recently, and you want to reciprocate that courage right back to them. That could be a professor, just like Dr. Lowe was saying, um, that a professor has encouraged you, and you want to encourage right back to them. Uh, it could be someone that when you were thinking, uh, when Dr. Lowe was talking, and you thought of that person, man, that, that person's going through a rough time. Like, you could send that person a, a note of encouragement. Or maybe it's someone you were thought of, and you've never met before, or you've just happened to think of, or you don't know that well. You could send that person a note of encouragement. Um, and just, that would just be a great way to do that. Um, and so... I know we have some visitors here as well, too, um, and so we can, you can send them a note of encouragement for something back home. What if we took that pay it forward and you took it back home and just kind of spread it at your school, at your home, at your youth group, at your church? What if you did that and you drew a note of encouragement and you kept it and you took it back to there? Um, so as the worship team is going to about to lead us in a couple of songs, I encourage you to pay it forward um, and send someone a, a note of genuine encouragement. If you receive something today, um, send some, another, someone a no, another note of encouragement and be able to pay it forward and do that today. <laughs> 